This episode of Country Squire Radio is brought to you by Missouri Meerschaum. We thank them for supporting this show, and we thank you for supporting them. You're listening to Country Squire Radio. Welcome to Country Squire Radio. I'm Bo. And I'm John David. JD! Hey, Bo. Good afternoon, man. Man, a good afternoon to you too, sir. How are you doing today? Man, I'm, I'm doing okay. Doing okay. We're, uh, you know, just trying to get uh, rolling again as, uh, you know, some of our local area is uh, creeping back towards trying to rejoin civilization <laughs> in the midst of all this, uh, man. We'll kick off civilization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I know now, uh, you know, a lot of grocery stores are running out of... Uh, you know, uh, like meat products and things like that, and which we can find toilet paper now. But now it's like, uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to find a pound of ground beef, it's going to cost like fifteen dollars. So yeah, it's just I don't know, man. One thing after another, we live in very, very interesting times. But um, it's very true. Yeah the the thing that's been kind of surprising here is uh, whole wheat. We can't get whole wheat anywhere. Um, I think I read somewhere that it was the Corona bake or the quarantine baking something or another like everybody since they're like at home decides they're gonna like bake and so the uh, the, the wheat <laughs> yeah and it's only whole wheat i mean uh, for a while there you couldn't get any flour but then it would just became whole wheat flour you couldn't get any uh, you still can't get whole wheat flour anywhere and so <laughs> um you know my wife is a big she she loves baking all of the bread that we normally eat is all uh, whole wheat uh, and homemade and so it's been a it's been an adjustment there, but I will say for the meat thing, man, I actually, I remember reading an article about it, uh, about like a week ago and I don't, you know, I don't think panic buying is the right thing to do. So I did not do that. I did, however, casually buy early before the meat was gone. I didn't, I didn't hoard. I didn't hoard. I got a ex- acceptable amount of meat that is in our freezer and it is, you know, I mean, if we were to have a large barbecue, we'll be prepared. You'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like pack it with all the ground beef in the city or anything of that nature. So I do think there's a balance between like realizing that people are about to start panic buying and yeah. not contributing to the panic buying. And and hopefully we uh, hopefully we did. That. Well, now, 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 I, now I just know when things really hit the fan uh, where I'm going for, uh, you know, that that, uh, you know ham sandwich or whatever <laughs> there you go yeah no, we're good no, the other thing too man, man is i got a grill i got a grill coming in here um as kind of like an early birthday present uh to myself oh, nice. so yeah i was like i was like i've just got this grill coming in i i'm not not gonna have meat you know what time i mean to like, cook it up. like yeah time exactly. to cook it up well it's funny one thing that is available right now is lots of good pipe tobacco man it's funny yeah. uh you know during this whole season uh you know our shipping business has um has done done well and uh, which we're very thankful for because we've you know taken a hit here with the you know walk-in traffic and all that kind of stuff but yeah a lot of folks uh you know are having trouble um you know getting out and about and so they're um, you know we're sequestered at home and uh man just the incredible um you know uptick in folks smoking their pipe <laughs> at, at home and uh it's really remarkable you know we've seen uh quite a bit of that so um so it's, it's neat where you know you've got folks that have kind of neglected their pipe and recent months that are uh, revisiting it and, um, you know, sharing their stories about that. And uh, lots of that, you know, happen on, on social media, which is kind of cool. And and folks even using, you know, folks are lucky enough to have a job that's still, uh, you know, paying the bills and, and they are, you know, have this new uh, stimulus check burning in their pocket. You know, they might even buy a new pipe or something. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy, man. We've uh, I've seen a lot of folks that are uh, sporting these brand new, uh, you know, Petersons and 
and stand wells and everything else. So artisan carvers, it's kind of kind of interesting. So um, yeah, man, pipe smoking keeps rolling. We're, uh, we're we're living in interesting times, and of course, just missed uh, you know what would have been the Chicago Pipe Show, and uh, a lot of folks are uh, you know grieving that, mourning that, the fact that uh, you know we don't get to you know spend these last couple weeks here with our friends uh, up there as we normally would. But um, man, looking forward to returning next year, and uh, and and really really excited about that. Yeah, man. Well, you know, we got a lot of great things that are going on in uh, the pipe community uh, on online as well. I got to give a special shout out to the folks at This Pipe Life uh, who had me on this last past week to speak at their uh, club event, which they do uh, on a on a weekly and. Uh, it was a lot of fun seeing those guys, and uh, I, most all of them were listeners of the show and everything, so I was able to share some behind-the-scenes. Uh, you know, it was, it's always interesting whenever getting the opportunity to share behind-the-scenes stories from Country Squire Radio, because like, there's the there's the behind-the-scenes that you don't say on the show, but then there's the behind-the-scenes that you don't want to ever say. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't want to say where the bodies are buried, you know what I mean? Like, we That's gotta... <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, hopefully I found the right balance, but I think it was... Uh, I, and, and provided some information. It's always interesting in those scenarios because, you know, I'm a pipe enthusiast and, you know, I obviously I, I have the, the benefit and being in close proximity to uh, uh, one of the most prolific blenders uh, in, in this moment in history, uh, Mr. John David Cole. <laughs> but uh, but like when when like asked to speak at, at pipe events, I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, like I'm not the knowledge base. Like the, the beautiful thing about me is I have the memory of a fruit fly, which means I can always represent the, the newcomer to <laughs> pipes and pipe tobacco <laughs> by asking what, uh, what, you know, we say there are no, no dumb questions and that's what I'm able to provide all of those no dumb questions. So <laughs> it works out, works out pretty well, man. but we did have a good time. No, that's great. I heard it was, heard it was awesome, man. And that's really, uh, really fun. So many, you know, during the season, we've talked about it before, but so many, uh, you know, folks, you know, their uh, virtual pipe uh, clubs and fellowship are kind of going, uh, man, going on online. And so, um, you know, even more so, I mean, through these, uh, you know, zoom meetups and stuff and uh, it's encouraging me and so it, it's you know it's a it's a crazy time in human history obviously a lot of sadness and disruption but um you know there's there's always a silver lining to be looking for and uh in some ways the pipe community is becoming connected in ways that it, it never has before so um we're thankful for that absolutely man also one last thing of uh, housekeeping before we jump into our, our episode we got to give a major shout out uh, to the the godfather of pipe podcasting, uh, Mr. Brian Levine, who uh, this very week is celebrating 400 episodes of Pipes Magazine. Oh man, that's great! <laughs> Congratulations, yeah, Brian. That's Brian. That's awesome, man. We're we're um, man, just so so happy for you. That's that's great. Absolutely. Of course, he's downplaying it like crazy, which is that that's the thing. Like, you know, when, when you're the king, you, you don't do. have to tell anybody you're the king, right? right? Like you just you just show up. You're like, ah, well, no, I guess it is 400. That's just an extra number. I'm like, whatever. This is a huge accomplishment, man. This is this is great. So uh, it's a anyway. big deal, man. Uh, Brian is um, obviously if you're a longtime listener of the show, you'll know that, uh, man, he's a good friend of ours and um, man, just a real force in the pipe world. Doctor of pipes and um, man, someone that we um, we're, we're, you know, very thankful for so congrats brian that's awesome dude number 400 all right man so we've got a uh topic this week we're doing another heroes of the bowl and you know i was thinking about this because this is a very different kind of heroes of the bowl episode than what we've done in the past uh for those that are kind of new to the show or perhaps new to this series heroes of the bowl is where we take a look at pipe smokers famous pipe smokers of history and or fiction a lot of times we try to pair up famous pipe smokers of, of one from history one from fiction uh, as kind of a, a you know a means of exploring 
individuals who have kind of represented pipe smoking, uh, be it in their era or in their narrative. And today we're doing something kind of cool here because we are we're actually looking at the the creator and the created. Uh, <laughs> and the form. It's like the father son duo kind of, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And this is a recommendation that kind of comes from a a call out, a challenge, a slice of judgment, if you will, <laughs> uh, from uh, from listener Grant China who said, uh, "Gentlemen, in the quick fire question segment of a recent episode of Country Squire Radio, you were presented with a choice between Captain Nemo and Captain Ahab." Both of you chose Captain Nemo, who, to the best of my knowledge, has never been depicted as a pipe smoker. Moby Dick, on the other hand, is full of pipe smoking. And in particular, when Ahab tosses his pipe into the ocean, it is symbolic of his setting aside of reason and pursuit of his white whale. There's also the second mate, Stubb, who would fill his rack of pipe tobacco or pipes with tobacco every morning so that he could keep smoking all day long in fact there's a very short uh, very short complete chapter in moby dick titled the pipe anyway keep up the good work and i hope that you'll always side with a pipe smoker in your future uh on your in your future quick fire questions and again that's coming from grant china uh man this is uh, fair enough right yeah yeah i know right it would take it to task bring the wood <laughs> yeah i mean it, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need uh we, we need someone to bail us out like Russ, uh, you know, Hicks or someone maybe to draw Nemo with uh with a pipe and you know, just so we can have some kind of uh evidence like after the fact. <laughs> yeah, no, I I always kind of pictured like Nemo like seems like a Nording uh type of pipe smoker, like that long Nording, chunky church wood, but you have to have some sort of Cthulhu esque, like I don't know, something around <laughs> on it. It, it, it. But but you're right. We're not talking about Nemo here, we're talking about Moby Dick. It is an American novel that almost everybody in this country was forced to read as a kid. Yeah. So I'm guessing that, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> we don't talk about our high schools. As John David knows, my high school was setting the standard. Uh, but oh, but you, back in... <laughs> you, went to, you went to Flowood Tech, dude. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, we kid. It's kind of an inside joke. But uh, no, yeah, our, 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 our entire like uh, educational system that I was kind of brought up into, I don't exactly have the most high praise for, but I will say this... Uh, <laughs> John David, you did. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that y'all did have this as a, either a summer reading or a required reading as well, right? We did. Yeah, we sure did. It was in high school. Uh, but, you know, it was such a long book, and it was one of those things where you could pick this book or uh, another book, um, you, you know, and it was uh, like getting ready for uh, the next year. And I actually think I picked, I can't remember what the other book was. I'm, I'm sure it was not, not nearly as long, but I think I picked the other book. Our, our English teacher gave us the option there. And, um, you know, and so it, it's just, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, I remember not too long ago, actually sent me a copy of Moby Dick uh, that I have not gotten around to reading yet, which is a shame as a uh, as a pipe enthusiast. But because um, I've got to do that, Captain Ahab, of course, is such a legendary figure and does like uh, Grant, you know, mentioned have all this connectivity with with pipe smoking. And so um, man, I've got to get around to reading it. I just you know, it's one of those things that uh, that I never did. You know, I do think that the character of Ahab really does, you know, we, when we looked back at the sailor as a pipe smoking architect or archetype, rather, uh, Captain Ahab and kind of the imagery that has come to surround him really does, you know, begot or begets that, that image, I think, or, or many of what we kind of in, uh, think of has some sort of ties there being either inspired by or, or, you know, perhaps the inspiration of, um, one might even argue that he is the quintessential pipe smoking, uh, sailor. 
Maybe. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, there's Popeye the Sailor Man, but but Popeye Popeye notwithstanding. Come on. I mean, you know, he kind of has his own category, right? Exactly. Well, so here's the thing. I remember when this book was uh, issued to everyone. And, you know, John David, I don't know if I talk about this very often on the show. I know I've mentioned it before because I'm not necessarily shy about this fact, but I'm dyslexic. And so <laughs> we are all well aware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, I would like, you know, I hate mispronouncing people's names. It is something that I'm in insanely embarrassed by but it has had to become like part of my personal brand yeah sure uh, so that, that it's almost kind of like a fun joke because Just otherwise it, i would feel <laughs> yeah, i mean that's what you got to do but that's the thing right so when i was a kid uh, they and they identified me with dyslexia kind of relatively early um one of the things that i got access to was the uh the benefits i think i think this was a, a statewide program in mississippi for like uh, the school of the blind where you could apply for a cassette player and it was like this chunky big cassette player yeah like um, 1993 variety right exactly and <laughs> you'd also get these like these uh cassettes that they would send in these boxes um and it's not like those you know a lot of people think about um you know old school cassette boxes like the old vhs plasticky things but this was actually like a this is like a hard plastic um you know if you think about well i was going to compare it to like microphone cases but most people probably don't know what those look like uh <laughs> But like, uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, are you, so you know those handgun cases the, with a tough uh, plastic kind of, yeah. you know, you kind of outside, you, you open them up kind of on a hinge and they open up and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that, but, but in kind of a rectangular shape and uh, you'd, you'd pop the thing open and you get your cassettes and you would listen to them. And if you were a good student, you would pay attention. And if you were, a, <laughs> <laughs> you would put them on and fall asleep. So it's interesting. I was trying to explain to my kids as I was preparing for this that I'm having to cram for a, <laughs> a Moby Dick report, and I don't think I was ever supposed to do that again since high school. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think we might be talking about this, and like this might end up being, I hate to say it, my least favorite episode for that reason, because so much of this American classic is tied up to that like high school experience of having to do something or having to like read something you don't want to, as Shame. opposed to, I, isn't that awful? But you were a good, I mean, like you were a good student. You loved to read. You were, you're big into literature now. I, I I was and am and you know still do uh, voraciously. Uh, although you know it's not necessarily always of works of this magnitude uh, nowadays. But um, but yeah, it, it, there again though, just one of those works that I never got around to. But um, you know, as a pipe um, enthusiast and someone that um, you know certainly uh, loves the loves the pipe. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those that we have to get around to. I mean, we have to. We have to. We have to. Yeah. No. Here's the here's the beauty of it. And this is true of like Moby Dick as a whole. And it's one of I think probably one of the reasons why they wanted us to read it in high school, even though neither of us did, uh, is because it is such a great kind of introductory to the concept of symbolism, right? Like everything there there's so much symbolism throughout Moby Dick, and in many respects it's very on the nose. One might argue overly heavily handed. Um, but regardless, it's all there from the you know, uh, the, the washing around of the concepts of sanity to the, uh, validity or the, the, uh, reality of God. There's, there's, there's things going on here in Moby Dick and Captain Ahab is this intense individual who is looking to hunt down, uh, his white whale, um, has become this archetype for many. And really we remember him because of that almost insanity or intense, like focus on his goal that would ultimately destroy him. However, 
as, as kind of pointed out from Grant, you know, pipe smoking is utilized throughout the book as a means of kind of communicating uh, comfort, as communicating, uh, I, I, not necessarily, comfort's the wrong word. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, serenity, uh, clarity, uh, sanity. That's the word that I'm looking for. Man, like, we all, we need more of that. <laughs> right. And it, I think it speaks very much to what we've talked about in terms of pipe smoking in the past is right. Like a lot of times that we see that in fictional works, the pipe is supposed to communicate wisdom. And you could argue to some extent that's, that's definitely the case here. Um, but in this sense, it's not wisdom in terms of a wise, learned person. It's more of that uh, serenity that kind of comes with a calming of the mind, right? Like the ability to kind of critically think through what's going on and not allowing yourself to be overcome with emotions. You think about the practice of smoking a pipe, right? So st- stability comes to mind. I mean, the word exactly. stability, just, uh, you know, uh, where you're playing from a place of, uh, you know, strength and quiet uh, rather than reacting and, uh, you know, giving into chaos and all this other kind of stuff. That's right. Now, you know, it's interesting. So uh, Grant also references this uh, chapter in the book, which is chapter 30. It's the pipe. And it's a very, very short chapter. In fact, it's so short that it's like maybe like it's basically three paragraphs (laughs) and they're all very short paragraphs here. Um, And so I kind of I kind of want to actually read this real quick, if that's all right. Yeah, I think that'd be great. All right. here's, Here's what we got. When Stubb had departed, Ahab stood for a while, leaning over the bulwarks, and then, as had been usual with him of late, calling a sailor of the watch, he sent him below for his ivory stool and also his pipe. Lighting the pipe at the binnacle lamp and planting the stool on the weather side of the deck, he sat and smoked. The old Norse times, the throne of the sea-loving Danish kings, were fabricated, saith tradition of the tusks of the Norwhale. How could one look at Ahab then, seated on that tripod of bones, without bethinking him the royalty it symbolized? For a con of the plank, and the king of the sea, and a great lord of leviathans was Ahab. Some moments passed during which the thick vapor came from his mouth, and a quick and constant puffs which blew back again into his face. How, how, he soliloquized, at last, withdrawing the tube, the smoke no longer soothes. Oh, my pipe, hard must it go with me if thy charm be gone. Here have I become unconsciously toiling, not pleasuring, I, and ignoringly smoking to the windward, all the while to the windward, and with such nervous whiffs, as if, like the dying whale, my final jets were the strongest and fullest of trouble. What business have I with this pipe? This thing that is meant for sereneness. I send up mild white vapors among mild white hairs, not among throne or iron gray locks like mine. I'll smoke no more. He tossed the still lighted pipe into the sea. The fire hissed the waves. The same instant the ship shot by the bubble the sinking pipe made. With slouch hat, Ahab lurchingly paced the planks. So there you have it right there. It is like literally his <laughs> ability to like he's it. You could argue that to some extent he is noting within himself the inability to get there. Right. Like so it's like I you know even even this pipe can't can't do this for me. Even even now in, in my moments of being able to take pleasure I can't because I'm consumed with uh, with with the hunting of, of Moby Dick. Right. Um, but at the same time perhaps. 
Was it not his very soul, John David, that he was throwing to the winds as he gave himself up to the death and hell that awaited him below? There you go. That's that's my that's my hot take. <laughs> but yeah, Captain Ahab, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, right then and there, there's tons of smoking throughout. And perhaps when it comes down to it, a better, you know, choice of hero would actually be the first mate <laughs> because of, uh, of course, his his pipe smoking. And, you know, I, I could be wrong because, again, I'm, I'm using the cliff notes here, but I don't see any references to uh, Stubb having thrown his pipe into the sea. So, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's all I'm saying. Maybe more of a more character of uh, stability or something there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it, such a such a, you know, um, intense picture there uh, of someone that, you know, is kind of throwing the caution to the wind. It's like, nah, you know, we're, we're doing this. And, you know, giving that pipe over to the ocean, uh, you know, in, in, in symbolism of, you know, just saying, you know what, it, we're we're throwing all the, uh, you know, all the life jackets out. We're going to finish this thing. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. All right. So one does have to wonder, you know, with, with anything that uh, often kind of, you know, showcases pipe smoking like Moby Dick uh, or, you know, Lord of the Rings or, or really any fictional work where, where the pipe is kind of quintessential to the characters and to the narrative. You, you got to know whoever's behind it is going to be, you know, somebody who's at least broadly interested in pipe smoking or, in fact, a pipe smoker themselves. Yeah, yeah, man. And of course, we're kind of talking about a creator created, um, you know, thing here. So in history, um, Heroes of the Bowl, often we talk about, you know, a, uh, a fictional character and a historical uh, person. And, and today we we're actually talking about Herman Melville, who wrote, uh, wrote uh, you know, Moby Dick and um, was one of the uh, more celebrated American authors of the 19th century. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's just very uh, appropriate that you would do that. We don't know a lot about Melville's pipe smoking, but we do know he was a pipe smoker. And of course, that comes out uh, obviously in his uh, in his writings. And so uh, particularly Moby Dick and uh, and others. But, um, you know, Melville was a he's a fascinating character, live a lived a speckled life. You know, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, from an early age thought life would uh, look one way and it, it turned out to look very different. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we all uh, know those those families and those those folks. Folks that um, you know maybe maybe live above their means or um, you know or kind of kind of hoping to fake it until their ship comes in type of thing and um, man Melville kind of grew up in a in an environment like that with his um, with his family he was born in 1819 in New York City and uh, of course is known to be you know one of America's greatest uh, novelists and, and short story writers um, Melville's childhood was um, you know he lived in he lived large you know as a, as a young child uh, well off Dutch family, very large family. He was a middle child, uh, grew up in opulence, lots of servants, always moving to bigger, newer houses there uh, in New York. And, uh, you know, it was a very posh lifestyle. And then, you know, after a while, though, the the um, kind of crack in the facade started to appear in um, in their lifestyle. And so some of uh, Melville's father, his uh, he was a he was a merchant who was very successful, traveled the world, but incurred a lot of debts uh, to finance his uh, you know his lifestyle. And so uh, when they were called in, and uh, you know some of these uh, creditors basically cut off their their lifeline, life changed dramatically for the Melvilles and became uh, very unstable and, and looked very different moving forward. They moved the family 
family to Albany, New York, uh, where they tried a classical education, but um, you know went in and out of, of that. And eventually, the father uh, got sick and and died. He uh, he had fever and and passed away. And so the family, um, you know, really retreated into uh, all they knew to do. And so um, you know, Melville he became a teacher. He uh, you know took care of a family farm. Their family became very religious at this point. It was interesting uh, kind of reading up on Melville. His his mother came from uh, that Dutch Reformed uh, stock, which is kind of fascinating. Real, um, you know, very, very rigorous in their uh, catechesis and, you know, just uh, making sure the kids are well-trained in Bible and, um, you know, all the uh, theology and things of that nature. And so they kind of kind of went, they kind of doubled down on that during this season where they really, um, you know, embraced that uh, that Dutch Reformed tradition. Oh man, that's rough. That's you know, it's all all my extended family comes from Dutch Reformed. That's uh, whew. that's a man. That that's a that's, that's, a, that's a stiff drink. That's a stiff drink right there. <laughs> um, you know, so it we kind of kind of went into that, and and that was a source of uh, consternation and also comfort. Uh, you know, at at the time, and so um, he managed a family farm. Went. Um, Again, to uh, teaching, began dabbling in, in writing there, and at only twenty years old, got a job on a whaling vessel. You know, and I, it just shows you what what one hundred years can can do. Um, you know, this is someone who was well educated, and um, you know, came from a one time uh, you know well connected family, um, and and in their youth, you know, one of their older youths from the uh, their brood, you know, went out, and now he's uh, on a whaling vessel. You know, and so they were just trying to make it work and figure out what to do, and so. Man, at, at age 20, uh, Herman Melville traveled the world. Man, places like the Bahamas, Brazil, uh, Peru, uh, the Galapagos Islands, all over the South Pacific. Um, you know, th- this is someone that, uh, you know, was uh, grew up in New York, obviously a cosmopolitan city in the in the mid-19th century. But getting to see that much more of the world, uh, man, this guy came back with some stories, right? And some real spirit, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is really kind of neat for someone that has a chip on his shoulder. He's uh, grew up in one environment. Uh, some of that was kind of taken away, instability, and now he has all this. And man, he's got something to talk about. And he becomes a, um, in some sense, a legendary storyteller during this season. So married uh, and and bought a farm in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and eventually called it Arrowhead. Uh, it was kind of nice. So what they did uh, just, you know, through all the uh, working of the land and everything. So many Native American arrowheads were found in this area that they um, he, he decided to call this uh, kind of a state uh, arrowhead, and that's uh, that's what it became. And it still exists today as a uh, Melville Museum. And so you can go there and and see the actual room that he uh, you know wrote Moby Dick in and all that kind of stuff. And it's uh, they've preserved it as much as they can, and they have other events there as well. Kind of cool, but um, that's in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. But he became friends during this time with Nathaniel Hawthorne, uh, obviously a very celebrated American author and uh, and someone in his day that, you know, it, during their lifetime saw more celebrity than Melville. Um, Melville kind of became, you know, celebrated more kind of even posthumously. But it was during this season around 1850, uh, 1851, he wrote Moby Dick. And he actually dedicated it to Hawthorne because of his uh, great, you know, friendship for Nathaniel Hawthorne and connectivity there. They had a lot of, uh, you know, stimulating intellectual uh, conversations and correspondence and and all that kind of stuff. And so just really 
uh, wrote this, you know, opus, this really uh, significant work and this very long work, and and dedicated it to his uh, to his good friend. So it's interesting because after he wrote Moby Dick, his career started to decline. He he actually kind of devolved into you know more or less obscurity there, uh, which is fascinating for someone that uh, you, you wouldn't call him a one hit wonder, you know. But I mean, at the same time, like you know, when you think of uh, you know things that came out during his lifetime. Uh, that's the one that that we all um, you know know and are, are aware of. So uh, what happened? You know, eventually he died. So this happens often. You know, we hear this kind of thing happening often with uh, with authors. But um, you know, he gets kind of rediscovered later, right? His uh, his career declines. He kind of you know fades into obscurity a little bit, and then um, you know he passes away. And there's some dedicated fans of his that on that the hundred anniversary of his birth uh, in 1919, uh, they kind of start, you know, poking around the edges of uh, Melville and, and trying to celebrate his legacy, uh, promote his, um, you know, these are folks that, uh, you know, love his work and, and family members and heirs, and they love what he do- has done and, uh, you know, are, are trying to kind of promote his legacy, right? Bring some of that stuff back to light. And so during the 1920s, there's a real rediscovery reanalysis of what Melville's, uh, you know, body of work, uh, you know, consisted of. And so he, he became a very, uh, you know, after, after death, (laughs) uh, incredibly well, uh, you know, seen American author, you know, and one that, uh, folks now associate with, uh, you know, the, the best of American writing in the, uh, in the 1800s. And so, um, it kind of interesting how that works, the great fame that kind of comes with that and it's posthumous. So, you know, it, uh, in some sense doesn't get to, um, you know, uh, take advantage of that during one's lifetime. It just shows you the the fragility. It's kind of this uh, bittersweet type thing, a fragil- fragility of the human experience. But um, yeah, kind of kind of interesting. So um, yeah, that great fame. Uh, you know, it came with uh, rediscovering a lot of stories and and even novels that. Um, that were not published, and so uh, one of those is uh, is one that is known as Billy Bud, and uh, it's kind of neat. His uh, family found this uh, novella and. Uh, uh, kind of in some scattered writings, and they were trying to put it together. Eventually, did kind of cobbled it together. It became uh, published, and and really was a sensation. Billy Bud, and and if you're a dedicated pipe smoker, you'll know that name um, because our friends at Cornell and Deal some years ago uh, developed a, a tobacco called Billy Bud, and it's one of their uh, one of their better selling tobaccos. It comes in a um, comes in a two ounce or eight ounce tin, very attractive can, and it's got all these nautical themes on it. But it's a um, it's a good-selling tobacco from Cornell and Deal, and uh, it includes Burley, Cigar Leaf, uh, Latakia, and Virginia. Uh, the Cigar Leaf, it, you know, it produces interesting notes. If you haven't smoked a lot of blends with uh, Cigar Leaf, I would I would commend it to you uh, to try Cigar Leaf. Uh, you know, if you're a pipe smoker exclusively, don't really smoke a lot of cigars. Um, the Cigar Leaf adds a lot of strength, uh, certainly a lot of nicotine. There's a uh, almost a dark fired flavor there uh, that gives um, you know it, it a lot of body um, and, a, and a smokiness that uh, you don't really get from, you know, some of your more, uh, you know, brightly Virginias and, and, and most Burleys and things of that nature. So uh, really good. I'd, I'd, I'd commend
recommend that to you to try. But anyway, even to this day in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, there is a um, arrowhead is, has been preserved and is now a muse- museum on display there. And you can actually go in and see in the room where uh, where he wrote Moby Dick. You can see Herman Melville's pipe, and we can speculate as to the tobacco that he smoked. I mean, during this period um, in American history, that rough cut, uh, burly based tobacco was very, uh, very popular. And of course, um, Melville spent a lot of time at at sea. uh, And so, you know, in doing that, we can assume, uh, you know, there was, um, you know, some uh, issued tobacco to him that uh, probably had some, you know, some generous rum casing and things of that nature. We're we're talking at this point tobacco that, um, you know, had very much a purpose, right? I mean, this was to keep their, uh, keep folks alert, have a nice, uh, you know, dose of vitamin N to uh, get through the day, a hard day at sea type of thing and, and be a little comfort to folks. Um, you know, during their um, during their trials out there on the ocean, and so um, you know, it's it was strong tobacco. This is what folks were consuming back then, and um, you know, the the flavor of it was maybe not uh, as important as the uh, kind of medicinal qualities of the the leaf itself. So um, yeah, so we we can speculate as to what uh, Melville uh, you know smoked, but but it's likely that um, you know it was what was pretty common at the time. But anyway, uh, if you're in that area uh, of Massachusetts and can get by there, go see beautiful arrowhead he actually after life kind of carried on his own story uh he had to move out of that uh and kind of swapped properties with his brother i think and some other uh folks and so actually did not end his life or his career at at arrowhead but uh after you know folks passed away and everything that that was kind of seen still as his homestead and so he uh that is where now the museum uh, you know is is for for herman melville so herman melville man famous pipe smoker and of course a uh, creator of uh, you know, literary legends that, um, you know, are, are deeply tied in with uh, with the things we know and love as pipe smokers. Yeah, man. Listen, Moby Dick is such a huge component of pipe culture. This is not the last time that we will talk about uh, the works here of uh, Herman Melville. So look for, a, look for a deep dive. We may, you know, I think back like when we've partnered up with like the one ring.net or with, I hear of Sherlock everywhere. Yeah. Really, really Moby Dick requires that level of expertise into the, the content that I don't think either one of us is really quite qualified to like, you know, exegete, so to speak. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like we, we might need like a, like a Moby Dick scholar or like an Ahab scholar of some sort. Um, I'm going to put that out there. And if you, you know, if you happen to know of a fan community that, uh, that you would like to recommend, maybe, uh, someone out there who's really kind of done some deep diving here I, that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking we revisit with, uh, yeah. with an expert. And when it comes to the actual, uh, uh literature here and you know, the great thing is, Whenever you're reading any book, no matter what it is or where it's from, it doesn't matter if it's got the like most pipe smoking in it or the slightest reference of something in the background that is shaped like a pipe. Uh, it'll it'll always be better when you're sitting back and reading it with a good quality pipe from our good friends at Missouri Meerschaum. <laughs> that is right, man. And of course, the folks at Missouri Meerschaum, they are an American legend in their own right and uh, have been that way for 150 years now. We're wanting to talk about a pipe today that uh, is named after another great American author and uh, and, and curious, uh, uh, you know, intellectual and, and storyteller. And, and, uh, and forced summer school, uh, summer uh, reading? 
in enforced summer reading that's right and uh man we have a a beautiful pipe that's one of the best sellers uh at the country squire in the missouri Meersham lineup and it is the mark twain corn cob pipe uh, it's a beautiful uh, generous size bowl uh, it's a dublin shaped pipe it comes in a straight and a bent variety and uh you know if you're going to be walking up and down the poop deck of your own ship <laughs> you're gonna maybe want something that's uh you know got a nice generous bowl to uh you know uh, savor those evenings under the stars and so the mark twain from missouri mearsham it's just a beautiful pipe and uh and smokes great it's got that genuine hardwood plug it's a hand-turned pipe on a lathe and um has the nice uh black stem that uh you know has the option of a filter so uh just a very nice product it's one of those that we sell a lot of because people want a pipe that uh, is comfortable in the hand but also is not too large um and uh and has a nice aesthetic to it so mark twain corncob pipe you can get it from the source at corncobpipe.com they are back open now at, in, at Missouri Meersham there in Woo-hoo! Washington, Missouri. And, uh, man, check it out. It's a uh, just a very handsome pipe, and uh, we commend it to you in spades. Absolutely. I, I knew I knew you'd pick that one for this week. It, make, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. So, yeah, if you happen to have a Mark Twain, be sure to smoke it this week. Uh, take a picture of yourself doing so. Retweet it to us. No, wait. Tweet it to us. That way we can retweet it out to let the good folks at Missouri Meersham know we appreciate them for sponsoring this show. <laughs> Pipe question of the week. Pipe question of the week coming in from James. James saying, I have all, I always have difficulty keeping my pipe lit if it is raining and or the humidity is very high. Are there any tips for smoking in such conditions? Are there certain weather conditions where it's just going to be hard no matter what? Yes. Too humid, too cold. Uh, thanks for all the work that you do to put uh, together my favorite podcast. And again, that is coming in from James. Man, this is a great question because we've actually done specific episodes about smoking under certain like weather conditions. Uh, you know, the beach when it's you know in in like the sweltering heat of Mississippi versus yeah. like, the cold yeah, of snowstorms. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've ever talked about rain. <laughs> I don't think that's, uh, <laughs> that's you know for for us who stretches uh, content like crazy. I don't think we've ever gone into like smoking in the rain. What a great, uh, no. uh, what a great question. No, it's funny. I, you know, it is more difficult for me, uh, James, to you know, to, to smoke my pipe when it's very humid outside. Now that's tough because you know we live in a part of the country down here where it's just constantly humid. But um, you know, and of course, you know, Bo knows it even better now that he lives in um, you know basically a, a swamp in Houston. Oh man, we're tropical, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, tro- is- it's tropical. It is tropical. <laughs> um, no, but you know, you um, you're right. The humidity, uh, high humidity, I think can uh, create difficult there and then raining too you know uh, there is you know the mitigating thing you can use that wind cap that uh, can kind of help keep the uh, elements out of your pipe and um, you know keep the uh, keep the tobacco a little drier but um, you know really it is going to be harder to smoke in those conditions and that's just something that um, you know you can't fully uh, you can't fully remedy uh, as a as a pipe smoker and so um, you know if it is something where you find yourself in these conditions more often than not uh, drier tobacco uh, will help uh, you know keep your get your pipe lit and keep your pipe lit you may want to experiment what I would recommend you know primarily is that you experiment for 
um, with uh, different packing methods. I think your your packing method, um, you know, it can always change, and it, and it's always something that people uh, should revisit. Uh, it's probably one of the first lines of defense that they should revisit uh, if they're having trouble with their pipe. Um, try something new as far as your packing method. Maybe um, you know, maybe pack it a little lighter. Maybe uh, load it all in one pinch rather than in a multiple pinches and just kind of gently tap it down. There's all kinds of fun uh, methods out there. Folks talk about the, you know, Frank method and the cannonball method and all this stuff. I mean, I, I would I would maybe explore something different that um, that could help you. Um, and, and hopefully that'll kind of uh, make it a little easier if the weather is inclement. That's good. Great question, James. Thanks so much for that. Um, and hey, if you've got a pipe question of the week, be sure to send it into a show at countrysquireradio.com. Again, that is show at countrysquireradio.com. Quick fire with the squire. Quick fire question. Ow! Ow! All right, man. Here it is. It's coming in from Zach. Uh, Zach, he's all right. This is, uh, we've got a couple of different ones here. This should be good. Formal wear, vest or cummerbund? I'm going to go with cummerbund. That makes my very small torso look a little bigger. <laughs> yeah, you didn't you rock the cummerbund for the that did, did, we were all rocking cummerbunds for your wedding, right? I think so. Yeah, it seems like that it seems like familiar. we were. Yeah. I I tend to like vests, although I can't really pull them off. Like just in general uh-huh. Formal or otherwise, I just, I like the concept of a vest. You know, we've got a mutual friend who wears vests like every day. Like that's his relaxing wear, not his formal wear. Uh, and he can pull them off. And I, I'm super jealous of that fact because I, I can't. Um, but if I could, <laughs> it'd be vest. Uh, bad haircut, mohawk or mullet? Um, I, Gosh, I guess I'll go with mullet. I mean, you know, it, they're both, it, it's kind of like picking from... Um, the dregs. I, I, I don't know. I, some people love mohawks. Some people I was really about to say, some I don't people know that mohawk I, is considered a bad haircut. I don't know. I, you know, for me, I just um, probably don't care for either. I'll, I'll go with a mullet, you know, reluctantly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the thing. Like, I think that a mullet and I mean, you know, I say this out of all due respect to the dear listeners right now who are rocking a mullet. Um, and I, you know, but, but I say this in a way that I recognize that, you know, that you chose a mullet and you know what that, you know, that, that people are going to have feelings about mullets. And so, you know, mad props to you choosing a mullet, but I mean, come on, (laughs) a mullet looks no good on nobody unless you're trying to like make a certain statement. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's it, right? If you are a mullet kind of wearing person, you are, you are making that mullet statement. And that (laughs) statement is you don't care. (laughs) Mohawk on the other hand is like, that's also a statement, but I feel like that's more of like a, I think it's a fashion statement in a, in a different direction. And I like, I, now there are people that cannot pull off a mohawk. You know what I mean? So like a, a there's, there's like there's a, a such a thing. There's such a thing as a quality mohawk. I don't think there's such a thing as a quality mullet. So if we're if we're choosing based on what's worse than mullet, but if we're choosing which one we would like have for ourselves, then I would go for a mohawk. You just go for the mohawk. Okay, <laughs> yeah. fair enough. Uh, extremely fast music, banjo or electric guitar. This one's hard. I'm going to go this with banjo, but by hair. Um, man, th- th- you know, there's something really pleasing about hearing that fast-picking banjo music. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Y- y- I could go with either. I'll, I'll go with banjo by hair. Yeah, I'm, I'm exact same for the exact same reason. 
Uh, midlife crisis, Appalachian Trail, or convertible? Okay, at first I didn't know where he was going with this. Now I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you hike that? You're you're having a midlife crisis. Do you hike the Appalachian Trail or do you go buy a convertible? I'm probably gonna buy a convertible. <laughs> just, I thought you were gonna say you'd, you'd buy a pipe shop, but I, I, I guess that. Well, was yeah, no, that was a little. That was a crisis of a little. Uh, you know, more. You know, in earlier age than this midlife. Is the quarter but, life crisis. Uh, right quarter there. life crisis. Right. Yeah. But uh, no, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I'll. Probably Probably, gosh, boy, as as I get lazier as time goes on, I, the convertible's looking looking pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I always liked the idea of a convertible, but when living in Jackson, I didn't really see that as an option just because the way the roads are. Yeah, um, true. Uh, you know, and I will say this, I you know, I've come to appreciate um, walking, especially when I'm, I'm able to walk with my wife and it's just the two of us. Uh, that is such a rare thing these days just cause the kids and everything. So I, you know, I, I, walking the Appalachian trail sounds, sounds incredible. I, I might, I might go with that. I, I do like the idea of a convertible, but I think, I think a lap Appalachian trail, a uh, late night dinner order, uh, breakfast or burger late night dinner order. I'm going to go with uh breakfast. I mean, that's like, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's calling out. You're going to waffle house, getting, uh, you know, scattered, smothered, covered and topped, you know, or whatever, <laughs> um, man. Yeah. Breakfast. Absolutely. Uh, and then also we have finally uh, Saturday afternoon lull. Do you hit it with coffee or do you hit it with a nap? Nap. Nine and a half times out of 10 nap. <laughs> and I am coffee. Nine and a half times out of 10 coffee. But like, yep. that, I, I, it's like, that's us right there. Exactly. That is in a nutshell, man. In a nutshell. You're like, man, we got some downtime. Let's amp this thing up. And let's I'm let's like, crank it up. Like we got no. some downtime. Like, no, nah, let's go back to the room and like let's maybe sleep and recharge. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a nap because we took that earlier nap that we're tired from. So we need to, we have to, I, I've got to nap that off. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, our bodies are not fully destroyed yet. Coffee. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Now there you go. So that is great. Bo and John David in a nutshell. It really. <laughs> exactly. is. If you ever, if you ever experience us together, if you ever have that, uh, you know that 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 prize of getting us together, that is, um, you're like the Tasmanian devil, and I'm the sloth. You know, that's kind of where we live. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, the people will get that opportunity again in the future, man. I was uh, as part of the 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 this pipe life. I was just lamenting the fact that, of course, we wanted to do the. Um, you know, the Lent to the to Remember, and it was going to be great because it would be, you know, you and me back together again. We we're going to do some live shows. It's going to, our listeners are going to be there. So, you know, one, one day the world will uh, continue spinning and it's, it's starting to slowly. And, uh, and once, once it's spinning again, then we'll, we'll figure that out. But, uh, anyway, in the meantime, great quick fire questions, Zach. And Hey, if you've got quick fire questions, send them in show at country squire radio.com. Your thoughts, your comments. Listener feedback. Listener feedback. Uh, you know, actually, also from Zach, who just put had uh, quick fire questions. He also had kind of a, a a tack on to that, which I wanted to include here, which is uh, who is playing the claw hammer banjo in your outro. John David, I get this question all the time. Yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, we we've heard that for years now. Yeah, and I mean, I think part of it is just it's you know banjo music. I'm sorry, I don't care who you are. It is the sound of the angels. Like banjo music <laughs> is fantastic. So there, there's that. But the reality is, is that this particular banjo music is like fair use. Uh, you know, iTunes or, or Garage Band back in the day used to have yeah. a, a number of. Uh, it, it came preloaded with a bunch of different music that you could use for whatever project you were working on. 
And there was like a, a banjo set, one longer, one medium, one shorter. And this and we were broke and this one was free. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is this is back in the day when when the show cost money. It was it was, right. it was very it was uh it was those garage days. So um yeah, exactly. But the thing is, and I've thought about updating it. In fact, we've had people actually um offer to kind of make us some custom music for the show. But people love it. Like, that's the thing. People keep asking about it because they think it's like a real song they can get. And it's like, well, it was, you could search YouTube and look on like, you know, banjo garage band soundtrack or theme or from, whatever. From 2012. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, it'll, it'll be out there somewhere, but um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is. So not, nothing, uh, nothing all shiny and uh, <laughs> not all that glitters is gold. I'll just say that. <laughs> all right, man. Also, we got this last a uh, bit of feedback here. This has actually been kind of uh, held up for a while. It's, it's kind of been bumped down, bumped down just because it is a little bit longer. This one's coming in from Dan P who says, Hey, JD and Bo, I love listening to your podcast. It has been a great joy of mine to discover. There are so many Christian fo- following pipe smokers in the world. I've been meaning to write you. Uh, let's let you know how appreciative I am of the fun and informative podcast you share with us each week. I wanted to share a poem I found one day a few years ago while I was reading about clay pipe manufacturing in university in the university library. You may have heard it before, but if not, I am so pleased to share it with you. And this is actually coming uh, from a reverend, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, John, David, you want to take this? Yeah, it's a, it's a poem by Reverend Ralph Erskine, part one. This Indian weed now withereth quite, Though green at noon, cut down at night, shows thy decay, all flesh is hay, thus think and smoke tobacco. The pipe so lily-like and weak, does thus thy mortal state bespeak, thou art even such, gone with a touch, thus think and smoke tobacco. And when the smoke ascends on high, and thou beholdst the vanity of worldly stuff gone with a puff, thus think and smoke tobacco. And when the pipe grows foul within, Think on thy soul defiled with sin, for then the fire it does require, does think and smoke tobacco. And seest thy seest the ashes cast away, then to thyself thou mayest say, that to the dust return thou must, thus think and smoke tobacco. How about that for a way to explain the spiritual nature of pipe smoking? Praise God for his, this hobby of ours. And that's from Dan P. And that's that's a beautiful little poem. I, I really like that. It kind of uh, encapsulates a lot of uh, a lot of my own feelings there. So that's great. <laughs> Pretty fun. You could tell it's definitely from a biblical scholar in the way that it's structured there. Somebody's been rocking the King James <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> I know, right? But, uh, yeah. Now, great. Thank, thanks so much, Dan P., for sending that to us. We really appreciate it. And hey, if you've got some feedback for the show, thoughts, uh, poems, whatever you want to send in, be sure to send those in at show at countrysquareradio.com. Uh, you know, obviously, this uh, this particular episode kind of was inspired by a listener, and I feel like this particular episode is going to inspire future episodes. So uh, so stay tuned for more about that. Uh, you can also keep up with us throughout the week. You can follow me. I'm at the Real Bo York on Twitter. I'm at John David Cole, or you can get us at the shop at, at underscore country squire. And of course, the show's handles at Squire Radio, but all that information and more can be found at CountrySquireRadio.com. Well, John David, man, it is, uh, it's always good every single week to be able to touch base with you. I was actually talking- You too, uh, man. Yeah. Like I said, when I was uh, hanging out with This Pipe Life guys and, um, you know, any time that I, I get the opportunity to join in on one of these kind of group uh, Zoom 
uh, type moments. I, you know, I just, I always try to encourage everybody to, to stay in contact with each other as best they can. But I was also yeah. just sharing that, you know, for us, we've been doing this for almost a year now. Um, and it's, it's, I just really, really always appreciate the opportunity to, to sit down with you every week. Same, man. I know it's a, it's a great, great opportunity to stay in touch and, uh, I miss you, bud. Hopefully we can uh, get together soon. Hey, likewise, man. All right. Well, hey, let's go have a week. See you, brother. Thank you.